Hi and welcome to Reasonable and Necessary, Australia's premier podcast series on everything you ever wanted to know about the National Disability Insurance Scheme, brought to you by the Summer Foundation. I'm your host, Dr. George Talaporis, and in this episode of our special series on COVID-19, we talk to the Deputy CEO of the NDIA, Lisa Studdard about the role of the NDIS in supporting people through the pandemic. Hi Lisa, thank you for joining us. Thanks George, it's lovely to be here. Now I'm just going to start by asking your views on this. Uh, Why do you think that the uh, current vaccination rates of the NDIS participants are lagging behind? Those of the general population. It's something that uh, it's a good question and something I do think about every day. I think what uh, and we talk to a lot of people and we're very open to getting more input on this. The good news is that the vaccination, uh, the growth in vaccination coverage has not slowed or stalled. So it's still going up every day. I see numbers every day and I check and we're still growing day by day. Uh, it is just uh, about around about 10% behind where the general population is at. And as you said, why is that? We think it's because in general there have been access challenges for NDIS participants, which have taken a while to get uh, addressed. Obviously, the slow availability of vaccine early on meant some people were maybe reluctant to go out and get the vaccine as it became available. And there may be some hesitancy, which we're now just starting to identify across the cohort and try to understand and work with the sector to address and with individuals and their families and carers. But we are getting there slowly and we're hopeful that it will ultimately, our goal is that it is at least as good as the, and widely spread as the coverage for the overall population. Well, I'm hoping it will be higher because yes. you know, people in India always uh, you know, it's a serious disability at most at risk. So we we need to aim, aim for as high as we can. And um, I, I, I think absolutely beyond what we're seeing in the general population, that's that Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. So tell us, what, what are some of the things that the NDIA are doing um, to support participants who are uh, in the States affected by COVID-19? First of all, in terms of participants that have been affected by COVID-19, we want to make sure there is full access to PPE, that there is assurance that supports will continue, and so working closely with the provider sector to ensure that the workforce is available and uh, well prepared to work in both COVID-positive settings, as has been the case, sadly, in a number of uh, jurisdictions over the last few months. In fact, over the last two years, um, and then ensuring that um, the uh, pr- appropriate response can be put in place in terms of clinical first, that the response to infection outbreak is appropriate from a clinical perspective, and then for the safety and well-being of uh, participants and their carers, that the appropriate clinical supports are around them and then that the uh, management of home isolation, 
um, monitoring for disease is done in a way that is, uh, is effective and ensures uh, appropriate and timely medical care. There are some payments available through NDI of participants plans to support PPE, to support deep cleaning when that is required, uh, support for uh, workers that need to isolate uh, if they have been uh, identified as close contacts, uh, and in doing that to ensure that uh, workers can continue to be able to attend their workplaces and provide the supports that participants need. And what is someone that needs more support in their plan as a result of uh, uh, for example, um, uh, yeah, either acquiring COVID or um, being in a situation where they need that extra support. Yes. So we recognise that has been the case and is could still be the case going forward um, because people's routines have been disrupted. Some of the programs that people uh, might have participated in have not been operating for some time in some uh in some cities and towns. So yes, the, uh, there is an open uh, invitation and expectation that participants can contact their planner or their LAC and uh, ask about how plans can be adapted and adjusted to the situation as it has evolved for them. There's some people who are stuck in hospital uh, uh, and uh, is, is that being addressed by the NDIA? Yes, we're very mindful of that issue, George. The, um, the issue of hospital discharge has been um, somewhat uh, uh, active between the Commonwealth and the states and territories, as is often the tradition in uh, inter-government inter politics. But at the heart of that, there are individuals that need uh, to be have arrangements put in place for discharge, and we are working very closely uh, with the states uh, and territories on that, but also with our hospital liaison officers that we now have in place in each jurisdiction to ensure that uh, appropriate arrangements can be put in place. I should say that I don't, there are not, we have monitored closely to the extent that we know NDIS participants that are in hospital because of COVID and there aren't, um, there haven't been many of those, thankfully. Although, of course, any uh, where there has been illness um, is a, of concern. But there is just uh, always, at any point in time, uh, participants in hospital, uh, as you would expect, but ensuring where that has impacted on the availability of supports, the housing needs they may have, uh, we want to ensure we need to do more to get timely reviews put in place uh, and those housing adjustments made or new housing arrangements put in place. And we know that does take some time. Um, so we are certainly looking forward to understanding how we can do that more quickly. Often that has to be done in collaboration with the state uh, or territory government, uh, particularly where there are housing needs that aren't uh, within the domain of the, of the scheme. Uh, but that is, again, where we have now a very regular conversation. In fact, I just had some email communication with the Director General of the Western Australian Health Department this morning about, uh, about this exact issue. So it's a very, a very current topic. It certainly is. I do worry about people who are uh, in the hospital who you know, are surrounded by 
you know, a lot more risks because yes. of the, the the cases of COVID um, in uh, in some states at the moment. And we need to do everything that we can to get them somewhere where they're at less risk. I think that's yes. a very important priority that we need to sort out. Yes, and of course, it's been a long-standing challenge, um, uh, but. Uh, there is certainly COVID, as with everything it's impacted, uh, has made it a, a more of a challenge, including things like uh, we've seen a slowdown in housing construction in some states, um, just being able to take uh, people to view potential housing options has been hard to do with lockdowns. So there are a number of challenges that are, that are putting, uh, putting increased pressure on, on the process that we are trying to progress with participants. And what if people do need to go to the hospital um, because they're COVID positive? How does that affect their, their NDIS plan? I mean, for me, um, I have quite high support needs and, you know, nothing terrifies me more than ending up in hospital having my supports um, taken away from me. People that know how to support me um, often takes them years and years to mm. do that to my, to my uh, satisfaction. Mm. Um, I, I do worry about this issue. What are your um, views on this? Well, it's, um, it, it, it is undoubtedly a difficult issue and I can understand the concerns. Under the uh, operating parameters of the NDIS, it is the... It is the responsibility of hospitals to ensure that patients of whichever of any sort or wherever they've come from um, as Australian citizens have the full array of supports to uh, look after their care and needs. Um, we uh, recognise that arrangements can be put in place for alternative care if that's what the hospital needs to, to ensure the appropriate medical care and clinical care is provided. Um, and in some cases for where, that, where that is not possible, then there will be discussions around how the appropriate care can continue to be provided in, in the hospital setting. It, it is one of our challenging interface issues and uh, we certainly recognise that um, that's been very much front of mind for people during the COVID pandemic. Uh, but first and foremost, the hospital and the clinical care has to be in control and managing the uh, care and support and the quality of that around individuals. And, and then, of course, ensuring that that is a full suite of care and support that a, an individual needs at that time. Yeah, I absolutely understand the need for, you know, hospitals to do everything that they should be doing to support people with disabilities. Um, I just think that we need uh, uh, to look at things on a case-by-case basis and recognise that for some people, there would be severe risks if the NDR supports were not available to them when of they're course. in the hospital. And, and nothing we do or nothing any of the uh, health and disability care systems do should put anyone at risk. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think that's important. And mm. um, what do you think about the role of support coordinators um, in, in making sure that people are vaccinated and making sure that people have the right supports in place? 
Didn't they have a vital role? I think in many cases for participants, they do have that uh, have a vital role because they are uh, they are trusted uh, part of the support and care system around individuals. Um, they know uh, NDIS participant that they're uh, employed by well. Um, we have worked actively with um, Disability Intermediaries Australia, the peak body for support coordinators, to uh, provide a array of advice and information to support coordinators around vaccination opportunities and options uh, and really encouraged and uh, reached out to, to ensure that they are playing an active role in reaching out to the people that they are supporting to enable vaccination where that is still needed. Um, we recognise that that provides, has in some cases, uh, led to an additional administrative burden on um, or administrative cost for providers, uh, not just support coordinators, but other providers. And so there is a, a payment available that recognises that where they are successful, where they have put in place arrangements that enable a participant to get vaccinated. So we're very much encouraging the uptake of that. Um, but it's really ensuring that they have the full array of information. And it's very, as we know, information and the available vaccination op options has evolved rapidly over the time, over the last few months. You know, uh, only what, six weeks ago, there was no vaccination available through pharmacies. That became available and that certainly quickly increased the available options for participants. And we were quick to ensure that support coordinators and in fact, all our providers were well aware of that option. In fact, we worked with the Pharmacy Guild of Australia to uh, put in place a special QR code for NDIS participants and NDIS workers to ensure they get rapid access to a vaccination at their local pharmacy. And we've yeah, made that, that widely available. That was a great initiative. I yeah. think that I, uh, it's something that, that, that you know, I was calling for um, for a while, just making sure that we had a, a, a streamlined process um, that prioritised people with disabilities. Exactly. Vaccination. Mm -hmm. I said that 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 needs to be um, definitely congratulated. And I just want to end on uh, uh, talking about flexibility in the use of funding. I know that the NDIA has um, introduced some flexible options um, for people in the states that are affected by COVID, such as. Uh, around real assistance or real delivery. Can you talk us through some of those? Yes. Well, we recognised in some of those uh, COVID hotspots, and this was particularly back at the time of the Sydney outbreak when it was at its, um, when, when it was at its worst, that um, there was increased risk for participants and carers if they uh, needed to do meal preparation at home. Um, and so we did put in place a, um, temp well, it will be a time-limited payment, but it's an, a, a support that's available for pre-prepared meals to be delivered to ensure that that, um, that obviously necessary care continues, um, but that we're managing risk at the same time. So there's information about that on our website. And um, uh, we'll, as with all the uh, COVID-related supports that we've put in place, we're going to continue to re revise and review those as the pandemic continues to evolve. Um, for those of us uh, 
George, like you and me, in the southeastern states, and um, I'm in Canberra. I think you're in Melbourne. Yes. We hope that we're past the worst of the pandemic, but um, we know that there are still um, uh, states such as Western Australia and Queensland that need that will um, have to uh, face that as as we open up further. And so we'll continue to ensure the supports are adjusted accordingly as the pandemic evolves. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to end with asking you this question. What advice do you have for NDR participants who are concerned about this, this adjustment that we're going to all go through um, around living with COVID and having uh, COVID in the community? What, what, what advice do you have as the, the deputy CEO of the NDIA? Oh. Well, I'm very hesitant to provide advice um, to uh, to participants because I know that the um, fears and concerns that um, many have will be very real and um, and not to be trivialised. Um, obviously, vaccination is the best and first defence that we can uh, give ourselves and those around us. Um, and we're obviously also now looking to the rollout of the booster or third vaccination over the coming months. And we will again be working with providers and participants to ensure there's clear messaging and uh, supports around accessing that. Um, I'm sure the public health officials would have us um, continue to wear masks wherever we're not feeling um, safe or um, comfortable with, with the risk around us. Um, and I guess it's just being very as well informed as you can, ensuring the people around you are well informed, and that um, we follow the public health advice because it has changed over time as we learn more about this this virus and the impact it has on the population and particular community communities and and groups of people as it continues to evolve. Thanks, Lisa. I know that you're a very busy person. I very much appreciate your time. Um, enjoy us and uh, have, a, have a lovely afternoon. Thanks, George. Sorry it was a bit rushed today, but happy to chat anytime. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks. That's all we have time for on today's episode of Reasonable and Necessary, brought to you by the Summer Foundation. To be notified of future episodes, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and the notification bell. Thanks for watching, and until next time, stay well and reasonable.